You're listening to the Rewilding Earth Podcast. The Rewilding Earth Podcast is supported by businesses such as Patagonia and Catula, the Whedon Foundation, and listeners like you. If you love the work Rewilding is doing, please consider donating at rewilding.org. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast while you're there. Tim McNulty is a poet, essayist, and nature writer based on Washington's Olympic Peninsula. He is the author of 10 poetry books and 11 books of natural history. Tim's book, Olympic National Park, A Natural History, is a captivating and detailed accounting of the park's 1,400 square miles of rugged mountains, richly forested river valleys, and pristine wilderness coastline. In 2011, Tim and hundreds of activists, organizers, and scientists rejoiced as the largest dam removal in U.S. history began on the Elwha River, which runs through the Olympic National Park to the coast. It marked the end of a decades-long battle to return the Elwha to natural flow, resulting in the return of salmon, eagles, and countless natural processes and species reliant on a healthy river freed from two dams. Though a great many people worked on this campaign, several of whom never got to see the fruits of their labor, Tim is the perfect spokesperson to talk about this very big rewilding victory and what it has done locally as well as what it means in the fight to remove destructive and outmoded dams across the U.S. Tim, thank you so much for being on Rewilding Earth. I am so excited to talk to you because the Olympic Peninsula is one of my favorite places in the world. I fantasize about going there much more than I unfortunately do. So thank you so much for being here. Well, it's my pleasure to join you. You know everything about one of my favorite places, the Olympic Peninsula, as you've written the definitive natural history of Olympic National Park. But give us a little bit more background on you and how you came to be such a champion for this beautiful region. Well, sure. I'm originally from New England, uh, but I I always had a fascination with the West. Uh, During college, took a summer uh, hitchhiking trip out west and visited a number of wild areas and and decided that when I finished school, this is where I wanted to be. So I uh, took a longer trip out and, 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 and traveled uh, through the Rockies and up the coast into British Columbia. And the place that struck me as the most uh, beautiful, the wildest, the, the, the place I could see myself settling for a long time was the Olympic Peninsula. So Around about 1972, I came here to live, and of course had to figure out a, you know, a, a way to make a living. My my degree in English didn't get me too far, so I I ended up. What? I, that come on! That is the most you had the whole world laid out in front of you. A, a degree in English that's almost as a, a good as a degree in the arts. Well, it could have been, yeah, almost, almost <laughs> in philosophy. Yeah, so I ended up working, you know, uh, working in the in the in the forest uh, world. I I uh, planted trees. We got a little cooperative company together and did that. I I did pre-commercial and commercial thinning in the forest, a little logging. I worked several seasons on uh, trails up in the Olympic Mountains. All the while working on some conservation issues, and also all the while trying to you know get my uh, uh, writing licks and experiences in and, and some publications leading up to when I was able to kind of break loose from all that, which came at about the right time and then and then uh, focused on, on uh, freelance writing. One of the things that's really exciting about the news coming out of um, Olympic is and that region is uh, the Elwha and the dams. I mean, we 
conservationists tend to fantasize about the crumbling demise of thousands of dams all across North America. Um, but it's left mainly to the imagination. You guys, on the other hand, have done some incredible stuff. I'm sure you were right at the center of all of that and, and know it a great deal. But start with giving us a little bit of background on the Elwha itself. And then, and then let's talk about the dams. To be there on the ground is the thing that I and so many people miss, watching those places come back. Okay, sure, love to. Well, the Elwha is a, it's just a magnificent uh, river and watershed. It's the uh, largest watershed in Olympic National Park, which I, I think everyone knows is a, a mountain, forest, river, and coastal wild area in the northwest corner of Washington State. As I say, a vast watershed, uh, 175,000 acres, and uh, for many years, it was the perhaps the most productive salmon stream um, on the Olympic Peninsula. It's estimated that about uh, 400,000 fish a year would make the journey up the Elwha River, including all five Pacific salmon, as well as steelhead and char cutthroat trout. It was the center of the Elwha, Lower Elwha tribe, tribal peoples, culture and sustenance. Um, and um, around about 1938, most of the Elwha River was uh, included in Olympic National Park. Um, later, much later, 1988, 95% of the park was designated a wilderness area. So um, uh, way back before the park was created in um, 1913 and 1927, uh, two dams were built pretty much illegally on the uh, Elwha River. Uh, state law at the time, in fact, the oldest state law in Washington uh, required fish passage on on any fish bearing stream and these two dams were were constructed without fish passage, blocking off all but the lower five miles of the Elwha River. The power was you know uh, destined for one large mill in Port Angeles, uh, Port Angeles mainly being a timber. Uh, town at that time in a mill town. And, uh, you know, not much credence was given to the tribe's concerns about what was happening to their fish or to the uh, state law about uh, making a, you know, making a, a, a dams passable to salmon. And that was the situation for pretty much close to the next century. Just because they were there, <laughs> it, was, it just made it hard to remove, even if they were put there illegally. Yeah, that's that's the case, and uh, you know, it was the basis for you know the larger you know the largest employer in town. It was you know uh, initially it brought power to um, um, Port Angeles before the Bonneville Power Administration lines came this far north, and it wasn't until really um, the relicensing of of the um, of the upper dam in the 1970s that um, people began to see that um, maybe there was a possibility that something could be done, first looking at restoring the fishery, and then eventually, uh, pursuant to some studies, looking at how the dam, uh, how fish coming back down the river over the dam would not survive, uh, realizing that in order to restore the fisheries, which was legally required, uh, the dams uh, needed to be removed. And that was, you know, that was kind of a, 
that was a tough one. That was a tough issue to bring up. Um, the uh, Elwat tribe has been incredible in terms of their vision and, and their leadership. As early as 1968, requesting that uh, the relicensing process ensure full restoration of this magnificent run of salmon up the Elwha River. And then um, when the licensing uh, relicensing process began under FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, um, the tribe um, was uh, one of the key players in advocating for salmon restoration. That kind of carried through into the 1980s. At that time, a young reporter for uh, one of the Seattle papers, Bruce Brown, started um, looking into the fate of wild salmon in the Northwest, and the Elwha story really caught his attention. Uh, he's the one that went back and looked through the, um, the state archives and, and, and saw the compromises and really, you know, illegal actions that, that made that, that dam uh, uh, a fait accompli and uh, started kind of raising the issue that, uh, you know, these dams really need to come out. One of them was in a national park. One of them was just downstream from a national park blocking, uh, you know, uh, salmon runs uh, into what amounted to 70 miles of pristine salmon spawning areas upstream of both dams. And by pristine, I mean National Park Service, old-growth forest-protected, you know, wilderness, the dream of, uh, uh, of restoring a salmon stream. And that's when I first kind of became interested in, in, in uh, the issue or even aware. So it's been that many decades that people had the first idea that they, they wanted to be rid of those dams, that it was even possible maybe there was an inkling of an idea that we could be rid of those dams, that those could be returned to nature, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> returned yeah, to their that, original that, that source. The idea, right, that the idea first surfaced. That's um, a long sure. time to wish for That's something. Long That's an incredibly yeah. long How many people must have been involved in public hearings and letter-writing campaigns and lobbying and over all that amazing amount of time. And, and ha- maybe this is heartening. Uh, going, pulling out a little bit 30,000 foot view of the whole damn situation in the United States. Yeah. We, we can't afford a fight to take that long. Any, you know, and do you think that the Elwha situation has made it easier now that we kind of broke a bigger dam right there? We've kind of cracked a bigger dam, which is the the resistance to taking out outmoded, silted in, no longer useful at least, dams, because now that we have you guys as an example? I think so, and, and, and certainly, it's certainly my hope. And, uh, you know, the, the Elwha just had so many things going for it as a, as, a, as a river that could be restored. I mean, the historic record going back to uh, the... Um, uh, early um, exploration period when Manuel Quimper, I think 1790, bought some, purchased some 100-pound Chinook salmon from the Indians, Alwa-Klallam people at the mouth of the river. You know, the historic record shows that really a legendary salmon uh, population using the Alwa, the fact that it was a national park and and the so much of that area was just you know ready for for fish to go up and spawn again. The legality question, and and then the popular movement, which uh, began um, in the 80s when not only the Elwha Klallam tribe inter intervened in the in the um, in the FERC uh, proceedings to 
restore the fishery and ultimately remove the dams, but uh, several environmental organizations, one of which I was uh, an officer in at the time, uh, also intervened. And I think uh, along with the tribe, the organizations, which included um, Friends of the Earth, Sierra Club, Seattle Audubon, which had a larger natural national reach, I should say, were able to begin to popularize this cause and uh, tell the story in a you know in a in a larger way, in a more dramatic way um, that began to build political pressure for restoring the river for getting rid of these dams. I don't know after such a long, long period how one really lets it sink in what happened when those dams were removed. When did it hit you? I can imagine people standing around just at one point or another, especially the ones who have worked on this for decades, just just letting go of stuff, something that's been pent up for all of that time, which is really an apt way of putting it, I guess, when we're talking about dams and releasing uh, not only the water and the silt and everything that was built up behind them, but all of that energy that had gone into um, what you guys did. I mean, how did how did it feel? <laughs> Well, the feeling was in, was in, was incredible, but as you say, it happened over a very long period of time. I mean, it's pretty much my my uh, lifetime as an environmental activist, from you know my earliest years uh, getting involved in, in this stuff to seeing this finally come to fruition. Just you know, the final uh, the removal finished in 2014. Uh, you know, my my beard went gray in the interim, and uh, many people, many people who worked very hard on this were were no longer alive to. to to see it happen, hmm. uh, it really was uh, almost a you know a generational effort. Um, as I mentioned, the um, interventions went back to the um, mid um, mid eighties. Uh, in the late eighties, uh, a lawsuit was was uh, brought to bear on the corporation that that, that ran the dams. Um, as well as um, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission was uh, the charge was that they were not um, legally allowed to relicense a, a dam in a national park, and it was great legal precedent on that. And that kind of changed the conversation. All of a sudden, the the company uh, saw that you know they could, they would not only lo- maybe lose the dam to not be able to relicense them, but have to pay for their removal, and also have to pay for 80 or 90 years of lost salmon runs for for the tribe and the state. So, with the with the with that when that lawsuit was introduced, I think um, uh, it really was a game changer. And all of a sudden, the company was on board. They wanted to talk about how they could guarantee power coming from the DPA to replace the power from the dam and the, the conservation community uh, agreed that that. Um, BPA power at the cost, subsidized at the cost of what the company was paying for for the power from these old dams, would be a, a reasonable way to to keep the mill viable. The city of Port Angeles had concerns about their water quality, the dam removal. You know, they had a big well out there. So all these things kind of built up to 1992, still a while ago, when legislation was passed, the Elwha Restoration Act that allowed the government to purchase the dams and remove them if need be uh, to restore the salmon fishery on the Elwha. And we celebrated wildly at that point, you know, mission accomplished. Mm. Um, and yet uh, it was quite a while after that, that, uh, you know, that the, uh, that the, that, that we finally got to, to, 
see the dams come out, and and that is a, a a whole separate story of the political machinations, local opposition, reaching across, you know, in a bipartisan way, finding ways to, you know, uh, address concerns from people in the community, and uh, you know, fighting some some uh, people in Congress that were afraid of just what you've been talking about that this would be. Um, the first in a, a, a series of dominoes of dams going down yeah. nationwide, and and you know that the uh, the Snake River dams were uh, something that's very much on everybody's mind in that regard. I, I you know it might be a bit of a romantic notion, but I think twenty thirty years from now people will start referring to this period and this particular um, among many other things as as the beginning of the rewilding period. For the planet, you know, I think so too. I think you're right. I really because that's it. Because to 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 see pictures like I'm right now on Google Images and I'm looking at the pictures of the dams and the various uh, process of being drawn down and destroyed and the water coming through and uh, we haven't seen anything like this on this planet before. This this is not this is a human history moment where you know previous to this we were building the hell out of dams and we were building yeah. all of the you know those we were lamenting the public works projects because of our employment situation over all the last several decades it's like we don't have any big things to put people to work to do it's we've dammed all the rivers we've done all of this stuff and and then you start to go forward really i mean it was a very long time for you but if you just knock it forward a little bit you're starting to see different pictures come up the dams being torn down and things being put back into their place and and i just feel like if we fast forward a few decades we're going to we're going to be talking about this as one of the crown jewels of when this whole thing began this rewilding movement on the ground with really really big projects um and and there's even bigger projects to come um, much, much bigger, actually. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just feel like this has so much uh, to teach us, um, you know, wherever we are. And wherever you are listening to this, there's probably a dam in your area that is old, a relic. Nobody knows what to do with it. Um, people have probably forgotten about it because it's almost just a bump in the river now sometimes. <laughs> Those little check <laughs> dam things. Right. But there are you guys kind of help are helping to develop or have helped definitely to help to develop a roadmap for how these things can be accomplished. Maybe if you could go back to your former self uh, or your 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 time twenty years ago when you didn't know all the things that were still to come twenty years uh, hence, is there anything that you could give yourself if you could go back in time and give yourself a few notes? Hey, watch out for this. You could you could make this go faster by five years if you just get out ahead of this thing that you're not expecting right now? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, you know, I, one of the things that we did not deal with leading up to the legislation here was assuring the local community that this was going to work out for the best, that, that this was going to be a great economic boon to the area, not, uh, not a disastrous move that was going to take away more jobs, and this was in the wake of the, um, you know, the, the spotted owl uh, issue and conjunction, Northwest Forest Plan, and so forth. And so, kind of having to go back after federal legislation was passed and signed, and uh, take the time to to address um, the, you know, the, the very the very honest concerns that that people in the local community had, people in the resource communities have about these things, and and um, so so maybe that was one. Maybe um, 
all politics is local. I forget one of our one of our famous. I think Magnuson, Senator Magnuson was, uh, or maybe Scoop Jackson. I can't recall, but uh, uh, realizing that um, even though this was a big national issue involving endangered species and national parks and tribal treaty rights, that um, doing the important work of of getting uh, local community, getting the inhabitants of uh, of these watersheds um, on board early on. Uh, is a uh, you know is, is is something that I've taken to heart, and that's that's really um, um, influenced a lot of the efforts I'm working on now. So, what's it like um, on the rivers now, and what's coming back there? What's going on with nature there? Well, it's it's uh, the the uh, the return of the salmon uh, after the after the dams came out was was remarkable, and it's and it's rapidity and a dramatic flare. Within weeks after the lower dam was 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 taken out, uh, steelhead were were swimming through. Followed in a few months later that fall by uh, coho, chinook, uh, salmon. You know, going up on the Elwha River now um, in the fall when the chinook salmon are, are are swimming back up is is just breathtaking. This this um, fall, my wife and I went to a um, uh, an old campground that we loved. That is not there any longer and there's changes in the in the landscape that I'll I'll talk about here in a moment. But um we visited the the the, the remains of a of a lovely old old campsite and, and watched about um thirty big Chinook salmon spawning in this uh uh gravel um uh spawning area channel alongside, you know, right right a little bend of the river. Um that was just phenomenal to see that, knowing that you know for nearly a hundred years no fish were there, and mm. uh, um, many many people uh, head up the river to you know to, to see this. Um, right now, it's a it's a walk because uh, as the river rewilded and as all that um, stadiums full of of, uh, of sediments and gravel behind the dams worked its way back downstream during the big floods. The river uh, reclaimed some of its old channels and floodways, and the um, the old road going up the Owa Valley that accessed the, the Middle Valley uh, to the dam side and, and to some trailheads uh, was washed out um, several winters ago, patched intermittently with, you know, uh, small bridges to allow some, you know, to, to allow motorized use of the valley again and and then, you know, washed out again. The campground I mentioned, the Altair campground, lovely little camp uh, set of, you know, backcountry camps was um, kind of pretty much washed away. And another larger campground, the Elwha campground, was, was uh, flooded and now has a major channel of the river flying through it. The uh, the river really did reclaim the old floodplain, and it's been in the process, you know, moving gravel and logs around, creating new habitats, new spawning areas, new log jams. Um, but it has, you know, taken away some recreational opportunities. And so the Park Service is now in the midst of um, an environmental assessment to look at how to restore um, um, motorized access to the to the lower river. Um, to allow people to get up to the old dam site, uh, the, the uh, Glines Canyon dam site, which is incredibly dramatic, big canyon with uh, with the dam missing, but the old uh, floodgates were retained and are now an interpretive uh, display with you know plaques and interpretation um, stories 
telling the story of dam removal and uh, the restoration of the river and the reclamation of, uh, of the spawning <laughs> the spawning grounds by salmon. But it's created a little, you know, another um, uh, challenge for certainly for land managers and uh, and uh, a challenge for, for for those of us who love the river. They're now looking at adding, you know, six, seven, eight miles onto our hikes just to get, you know, get up to the old trailheads. Probably one of the least worries, maybe for outsiders, would be, you know, the effects on the river for the national park. Because it's already, I mean, the river's sick. It's not, you know, salmon aren't spawning. And, and there are things missing from that crown jewel that a national park always represents, the best of the best. Mm-hmm. But... Now that there is spawning, now that the salmon are coming back, what, what kinds of edge effects of that are happening in the crown jewel? What, what was, or did it, bring in, did it bring to light anything that was sick that you guys didn't even know about? Because now it's, it's got its salmon back. Bears are taking them out into the woods. What, mm-hmm. what kinds of good things have happened that you guys might not have even expected to see? Well, uh, interestingly, there had been quite a bit of um, not too f- fairly recent research um, prior prior to the to the legislation. They showed the incredible um, diversity of wildlife species that depends on salmon that come up and spawn in the rivers. They're 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 used by you know nearly hundred different wildlife species that uh, take part in you know eating the uh, the, uh, the the spawn salmon, spreading the carcasses around the riparian areas, the forest area. There's, there's there's good studies showing marine-derived nutrients in in the riverside trees, and uh, you know the whole unity of the, of the salmon cycle uh, was pretty well understood. So that was people were really excited about being able to document that, to see that, to measure it. And uh, sure enough, uh, those kinds of those kinds of changes came, including most visibly and dramatically, you know, eagles uh, in the trees along the river where they were never before during spawning time, because mm. there was nothing more of them to eat. And uh, uh, river otters uh, in the old reservoir sites fishing, the, you know, fishing the riffles for for uh, returning salmon. Bears, of course, and and uh, uh, raccoon and and you know, um, Fisher and, and all the other animals um, down to diminutive uh, winter wrens that, uh, that, take, uh, that, that partake in the feast as the salmon go up and revitalize uh, the, the forest ecosystem in the fall. What was unexpected was um, this incredible new delta as all, the, uh, as all this uh, sediment, sands and gravels and, and cobbles moved down the stream the uh, beach at uh, Rivermouth, where the um, Elwha Reservation, Elwha Tribe Reservation is, had been eroded to what we call just a shingle cobble beach, you know, stones mm. and rocks and not much habitat for anything. Suddenly, uh, within a couple of years, there's nearly 100 acres of new estuary and delta at the Rivermouth, which has brought, brought in um, numerous aquatic plants, which have become the basis for forage fish, um, uh, herring and, and, um, eulogion and many, many, many other, um, small, um, feeder fish that, that come in and utilize this habitat, which then of course becomes utilized by, uh, salmon during their out, you know, out migration into saltwater. Gulls, um, eagles, 
Dungeness crab have returned to the river mouth. Um, it's uh, it's an incredible experience to walk out there and just see this incredibly rich, teeming delta full of life that just was not there before. I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the image of the Seattle Times article, Elwa roaring back to life. Their mm-hmm. lead image of that delta is amazing and all i want is an image that's in the same aspect of what was obviously not there before that it's like a hundred acres and i mean all of the things that you're talking about if you take the opposite view it really gives a very clear picture of just how damaging dams are i mean yeah they're death they're death to rivers they really are there's no no question about well rivers and and the I mean, and every single thing that depends on it, it took you a minute to get through that list and you could go on and of everything that's come back and everything that's been set right or is being set right again. And, and the unexpected things are so awesome. I remember that the first articles that were really exclamatory and just surprising and it was everybody's surprised at how quickly the Delta formed and all, and all of that new land, <laughs> just new land. You know, yeah, you just don't see like a hundred new acres. Much of that anymore. Yeah. You don't see a hundred new acres forming anywhere. I mean, that doesn't even happen in Hawaii with the eruptions. It takes an incredibly longer time. Well, so like what's next? Are people, are, are you being approached um, or are people that you work with being approached to help out with other campaigns around the country? Because you guys are seasoned vets now. You are superheroes. To, to those of us who are like, we're still staring at dams that, you know, people have the same old attitude that it, they did back in the 70s, probably, uh, when you guys started working on this stuff in the 80s. Where do we go from here? How can we take this rewilding lesson and, and put it on the road? Well, what's what's interesting, I think, and something I've been I've been noticing is I'm I'm you know our our focus uh, my, my organization Olympic Park Associates I'm an old bioregionalist and our our focus is here our our ecosystem you know our our, our park our national forest public lands larger ecosystem coastal lands um, but what I'm noticing is that um, the frequency with with which the Snake River dams are now appearing in news stories and being discussed and and uh, and, and looked at, um, uh, tying into both the, um, the Puget Sound Chinook, which are on the endangered species list now, and the, uh, and the orca, the, the southern resident orca population, which is dependent on those Chinook, are both, both um, in a critical state. And, uh, you know, there's um, government reports coming out now and news stories and, you know, what could be done to, to help with the Chinook and, you know, um, recovery. And persistently, those uh, Snake River dams are coming up as, you know, this could be uh, a really, really important element in this whole restoration. Um, and it's the, it's the same kind of, um, I'm noticing it's the same kind of coverage as the Elwha started to get as the, as the campaign was ramping up uh, prior to the passage of the Elwha Restoration Act. And I think that perhaps with a, you know, with a different administration and uh, a little bit different balance in the Senate, um, that could be really one of the next very large uh, examples of a, of a great restoration effort. And and we know now, we know from the Elwha, before the Elwha, we knew from Mount St. Helens, you know, those, those rivers down there, the Toodle River was just blasted. It was flowing with hot cement, for God's sakes. And mm-hmm. within, you know, within five, six years, the salmon population were back up there. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, salmon and rivers are just in, 
incredible um, symbols of, of hope and, and vitality. And uh, I, I think it's an idea whose time is really coming to the fore, um, both in terms of ecological restoration, rewilding, and just economics, getting rid of these pieces of junk that are getting ready to collapse and flood downstream, you know, um, community. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when it, when people started talking about that and the orca and the, you know, and starting to make the the requisite arguments about tourism dollars being far greater than any economic benefit that these little weak dying dams um mm-hmm. have in them and I just considered it from that point on because I was like this is the land of the people who took down the Elwha dams. These, 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 these dams are doomed. They are absolutely doomed. And my only, I think so. I think you're right. I think you're right. My only question is how much faster can we make that happen than the first one? Cause that's always the thing is like, okay, everybody's wetted their whistle on this. They're kind of getting used to this. This is, and you guys, I know must be feeling your oats a little bit. Like the, the coalition of people that you put together for the Elwha is still there. <laughs> and they're probably like, what else can we do? And they're probably already working on this, right? Well, there definitely people working on, I don't know if it's the exact coalition, but definitely people working on the Snake River dams. I think the problem is, you know, what else can we do? There is a whole lot we have to do right now, just, just treading water to keep some of our environmental, basic environmental protections in place. Um, you know, but, uh, but, but really it's the, it's the visionary restoration uh, rewilding, healing the earth, uh, big, big campaigns and big issues that I think inspire and, uh, and, uh, uh, excite people the most and particularly young people. They really want to see something happening dramatic. Well, an inspiration for people now who are beginning 30 year long journeys of, uh, mm-hmm. making something right to, um, Maybe speak to that a little bit. You know, was it worth it? You, 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 your beard got gray. Um, you probably have some stress-related uh, issues that you've had to deal with physically and mentally. And you know, give us a little bit of a, a energy on that because there are a lot of people who are starting big, long um, battles, and they need to know it's worth it. I know you know it was worth it, but in your yeah, own abs- absolutely. And you know, it's 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 interesting. Uh, it come it comes down to um, you know you have the large you have the large vision, the large uh, issue in mind. Uh, the goal is out there, but getting there is often getting to this next meeting, going to this public hearing, writing a letter again to this agency, continuing to meet with you know, um, with, with, with people raising money for legal challenges. It's the kind of the, you know, the, uh, the day-to-day grind. And, um, to me, it's, it's always a matter of keeping, keeping the, the, the larger vision, you know, uh, restoring the Elwha River, taking down the Snake uh, River dams, bringing wolves back to the Olympic Peninsula, Olympic National Park. These kind of what become, as I realize, sort of lifetime goals, that one just has to keep a, a, a measured pace of, of, of moving forward through all the small stuff to get there. And we get greedy because we have these little minuscule short lives, uh, human beings. And, um, you know, the earth thinks not at all in these little micro seconds of its history <laughs> and, and wildlife and everything else. So, but we get greedy because we're like, well, I've got this life. And in this life, I want to see some really big things. I want to make the biggest of things happen. You know, especially yeah, when people to start to, to celebrate them and, and enjoy the, uh, the the aftermath. 
Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, I think people are starting to realize uh, these these days that, you know, we're connected to things, you know, talking to Dave Foreman, you get connected all the way back to Bob Marshall and um, Aldo Leopold, and you have to respect that, and you have to be okay with not sitting right next to Leopold or sitting right next to Edward Abbey. You have to be okay because you're, because there is a lineage and there, there is a connection back to those great ones that had come before us and did so much to pave the way. Uh, otherwise our road would be even harder than it was. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that's the case. I was, I was really lucky to be, uh, to come to the Northwest at a, at a time when, when, um, uh, some of the, the really, um, great mentors of mine, uh, people who worked on passage of the Wilderness Act, people who were around for the creation of North Cascades National Park, and uh, um, uh, Polly Dyer, and Pat Goldsworthy, and, and Phil and Laura Zaleski, and, and uh, these people who worked side-by-side with Zanheiser and uh, getting the Wilderness Bill passed, and, uh, you know, the Dyers worked with, with Dave Brower from, from way back when to get the first Sierra Club chapter up here established and um and one of the things i learned from from those folks early on was that uh things take time i, I remember we had a uh, we had a, a, a kind of a disastrous governor elected here after a real visionary guy dan evans for whom the olympic national park wilderness is now named in honor of his conservation uh, accomplishments we had dixie lee ray who was who was nixon's mm. uh, head of the uh, uh, Atomic Energy Commission, elected as governor, and I was just crestfallen. Uh, and I, the next time we got together with Polly and, and uh, everyone at, the, uh, at our next board meeting, they said, well, we're going to just have to focus on um, what we can get done in the interim and wait for the next election and get a new governor. I thought, that's hell, four, six years, my God, this is, you know. Yeah. But really, it was it was the perspective of, of uh, of age of having been around having seen some some battles and some campaigns through to the end and uh, realizing that uh, it's a long haul and you just gotta you gotta stay up for it which I've tried to do and you have done and I want to congratulate you I know that but probably doesn't ever get old but you it's not like you've never heard it uh, in the last couple of years but thank you so much for all the work that you've done and 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 thank everyone for me that you uh, meet after today <laughs> and say I was happy to yeah. Just go around thanking everybody because, I mean, everything is local. I get that. But there are a huge, huge audience, including people like me, uh, watching this from afar and being so proud of you guys and so amazed at what people can do to right the wrongs of the past. And, uh, and this is always going to be, I mean, talk about a legacy. Congratulations. Well, well, thank you. And I, I have to say, I have to share that with literally hundreds of, of people who worked yes. hard on this. And uh, uh, most notably, including the members of the of the Elwha tribe who never gave up hope for a hundred years. And, um, you know, it would, uh, couldn't have happened with, without them and, 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 you know, without without everyone that, that made it happen, including some, you know, um, senators from the East Coast and, uh you know, uh, supporters of uh, rewilding nationwide. Uh, so it's uh, it's uh, really grateful to have been part of this one. But you know, I'm just looking ahead to what's next. <laughs> and I want to have you back on Rewilding Earth to find out what what you find out. What's next? Uh, because we only touched the tip of the iceberg. We're talking about an area that has many, many more issues, uh, many things, and beautiful things to talk about 
as well. Um, so I would love to have you back and pick your brain once again, or maybe twice or three times. Again, Jack. Okay. Thank you, Tim. You bet. Thanks for listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. Be sure to visit rewilding.org to subscribe so you don't miss past and future episodes. And while you're there, please consider supporting Rewilding by making a donation or subscribing to the Rewilding Earth newsletter.